here, uh, we're going to do talk about you one more little time here in verse 21. Uh, we've been working, by the way, I forgot to mention the offering box. You know that. You can take, take part in that. Folks online, the giving and so forth there through uh, Zelle and PayPal and all that. You're aware of that. And uh, I don't always focus in on that stuff. You need to do your part and be focused there. Uh, that's why that verse says, as a man has purposed in his heart, if you've purposed something, that means you're thinking about it and concentrating on it. So anyway, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Uh, we're going to look this morning at, at, uh, at a passage here, uh, again, continuing, looking at what a spirit-filled life looks like. It starts with you. It starts with the individual first. It starts with that issue of volition, where you choose to, to do this and to be this way. And uh, we come now to verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And you know what happens? That's probably the most unpopular verse in all of Scripture right there. <laughs> yeah, why? Because what does society tell us? Don't submit to anyone. Stand for your rights and rebel. It starts out bad and it gets worse. By the way, in the verse, the only good words are in the middle, one to another. Submitting yourselves, that's, uh, in our culture, very bad words. And Because, again, we're told to stand up for our rights, fight for your rights, children's rights, animal rights, women's rights, Chevy rights, Ford rights. You know, everybody's got rights. And, you know, we were talking this weekend, uh, this past, I was talking, we were talking, you know, you know, on school busing and transportation, school buses are a privilege, except for the special needs folks. The only thing that's mandated by law that a school district has to have is, is transportation for the special needs. You know that? But you know what happens when you get on the big bus? My rights to ride the bus. You don't have rights, dude. This is a privilege. <laughs> This is a gift provided to you by the district. You know, what because what are we what are what are we told? Don't submit to anything. No one likes to submit to others. I'm oh, you know, what was that song back in the 60s? I am woman, hear me roar, roar, you know, oh, here it is. Why? Because that's what our culture has developed. Now you read a verse, you know what it says? Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So this verse becomes very unpopular. Then you got in the end of that verse the fear of God. Now wait a minute, what's all that about? Because in grace, you know, fear isn't supposed to be there. Fear shouldn't be a component of the believer's life, you know. We haven't given you the spirit of fear, but the power of a sound mind and, a, and so on. And you begin to look at that and... You go, wait a second, why does Paul say that? Because he does say it. So there is something to look at that. So this verse is a verse that is going to be very critical to understand in our thinking as we move forward now and we begin to deal, delve into our relationships. I had someone ask me this past week, you know, well, Rick, I'm not married. I don't have a fam children. I'm this, I'm that. And I said, yeah, but it's okay because you still have relationships. She's a single lady. And I said, you know what, but you need to understand verse, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Because you still do have a family. She's a daughter, so she has relationships. Because what we're going to learn about this third verse here, 
verse 21, is that it is the third component of what a spirit-filled, a spirit-controlled life of a believer is. It's a part of that. So the verse doesn't just, you know, show up out of nowhere. It's there for a reason. And it all starts again, back up at verse 18. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Have your life under the control of the love and the grace of God for us in Christ Jesus. Having our lives gripped by the Holy Spirit, by His Word. And then let that be put on display in your life. How is that going to look? Verse 19. Speaking yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Have you been reading the verses on the songs now? I have. You ought to go back and read the two songs that we sang this morning. Read that last verse and you'll see why we, don't, we didn't sing it. The first one, Pearly Gates, Streets of Gold. We don't have any of that. Great sentiment, wonderful poetry for the writer. But when we all get to heaven, guess what? We're not going to have pearly gates, you know, talk to Peter, St. Pete. Hey, let me in, you know. Hello, anybody home? You know, not going to happen, you know. There won't be streets of gold, nuggets of gold to reach down there and little Johnny fill up his pockets with. I don't, I, you ever wondered why it's always little Johnny? You know, why couldn't it be little Bill, you know? It's always little Johnny. I asked John Verstegen that one time. He goes, I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> You know, it starts here with you. It starts you having an, having an inner peace, a melody, a song, psalm, singing the word of God, singing the doctrine, the sound doctrine specifically, having that song of praise and that hymn of praise that comes from having the peace of God. You know, when you have the peace of God, when you understand that you have the peace of God, and you have peace with God, it begins to ground you, it begins to grip you, it begins to keep you. And it causes you to have an inner melody, an inner harmony. And when, you're, when God's word controls your life, and when it comes up and hugs you, you're going to have that inner peace. You know why the world, you know why the heathen rage, Psalms 2 says? Because they have no inner peace. They have no inner harmony. When you look at people and they get so angry, you do it so you know. It's come from unsettled inside of you. And man, when God's word grips you, controls your heart, you have an inner peace and an inner harmony because that peace comes from the word of God, working, controlling, living vibrantly in your life. And that leads us to verse 20 where he says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That leads us to a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude. <laughs> for all things, not in all things, but what? For the circumstance. This past week we were up in Flagstaff. Thursday night, Friday morning, we wake up, we go out, there's 12 inches of snow on the ground. It was like, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. So we get the snow blowers out and the shovels out and we blow everything off and we do it. And you know what? And I'm sitting there and about the third shovel I'm going, I want to go home now. 
where's the desert? You know, this is a reason why I live in the dirt, you know, in the heat. Well, because well, what happens? But rather, for the situation, what can we do? What are we to do? Not can do, but what are we to do? Give thanks. Motivation, grace motivation, gratitude for all that he, look over at Romans 8. Oh, man, what a, I, I don't, you know, man, studying Romans 8, first hour. Look at Romans 8. Hold on to Ephesians 5. Folks, when the Word of God grips you, the Spirit of God comes in and starts controlling the, your mind and your thinking and the way you perceive things. He, by the way, notice none of this is changing what you do. Rather, it's how you think about what you do. As a wife, in the role of a wife, ladies, how do you think about that role? Husbands, men, in the role of a husband, how do you think about this? Children, we're all children of someone. You know, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor thy father. Children, that's the little dudes. Honor, there's the adult children and what they're going to be doing. And when you think about, hey, you know what? Look at Romans 8.32. Look at what God did for you. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Look at what he did for you. He spared not his own son. He caused him to go and become obedient unto death, the death of that cruel cross. Cursed is he that hangs. He, look at what, he, look at what the father did with his own son for you. And then he says, okay, you think that's wonderful? I'm going to freely give you all things. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I know it's not on your list, but you know, you'll get over it. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us. How? By His Spirit. When the Word of God grips you, when the Spirit grips your life, fills it up, now what are you consumed with? Oh, He freely gave us all things. All of the stuff that He's prepared for them that love Him. He says, here they are, and you got my Spirit, and now He's going to control your thinking, control your mindset. And you know what? The only, only way that you can say anything to that it's thank you. Go back to Ephesians 5. That thankful heart, that heart of gratitude, and the only response that a heart that is controlled by that grip is thanksgiving. And then you come to verse 21, because this leads into submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That leads us into serving one another. A servant's heart. You don't get a servant's heart, folks. You don't get to verse 21 until you have the inner tranquility and the grace motivation because that's what produces the servant's heart, the grip, that ability, submission, submitting one to another, that ability to give up your own rights, for the benefit of others.
going to hear me say that a bit. To give up your rights for the benefit of others. Well, they're my rights and it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. No, that is not a servant's heart. That's not submission in Scripture. This verse doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes as a result of a life filled with the Spirit. So let's look at the verse. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This verse is literally the hinge for the rest of the passage, the rest of the relationships. For the wives, for the husbands, for the children, for the fathers, the parents, for the servants, for the masters, all hinge on this verse because it all starts right here. Because in the submission, in the submitting, and the servant's heart, that's where the outflow of the Spirit-filled life comes from and begins to be put on display. That Spirit-filled life never comes from within you. On your own energy. You doing it. Because you know when you do it, you're looking for that, yeah, but... (laughs) I did that for you, so you better do this for me. Husbands and wives are great with that. You know what that is? That's not submission. Submission comes from that spirit-filled life. And it'll never come until you have God's word control you. Control you, your life, your thinking, And that's what allows and produces that inner harmony, that thankful attitude, and that servant's heart. Comes from all of that. Comes from all of this. So the the verse here is key. It's critical. Because it's going to become the basis of all of our relationships that we have. And as we begin to look at them, which is really where I'm headed, but you you can't talk to the wives or to the husbands, or to the children, or the parents, or the father, until you understand this stuff right here, because all of those relationships start with you. And if you're sitting over here with your, I'm going to get my way, or else, cold supper tonight for you, turkey, because you were a jerk today. Put them up. No, that's not being... That's not submitting yourselves. That's not having a spirit-filled life. That's having a self-filled life. I get my way. No matter the relationship, submitting yourselves is a different perspective. (laughs) It's a different concept for your old rebellious flesh. Because you know what? By nature, we're what? Rebels. We rebel. Our pride comes in, causes us to rebel against what being told something to do. You don't believe it? Raise children. You're to be in here. No, I don't. You're to be in, you know, and ho, ho, ho. be a boss on the job. Supervise people. You know what you begin to see? You begin to see it, and you know what? You know it. Mel Derry, when he was alive, he used to say, I'm humble and proud of it. And that's exactly what our flesh does. Submitting yourselves one to another. The spirit-controlled life is a life of submission. 
And that's the opposite of that independent self-life that we, we by nature want. Think about that word submit, sub, under, right? You put yourself under the authority of others. You yield yourself to another's authority. Submitting. I'm going to come underneath that authority. By the way, submission is not a doormat. In Genesis, when we talk about the wives, Eve was created as Adam's doormat. No. Help mate. Help. Come up. See? To hold. So when you talk about submission, we're not talking about losing who you are. But rather we're talking about I'm willing to let someone else influence me. I'm willing to say I can listen to you and let you influence me and my thinking. And I'm willing to not say Yeah, but I'm in control. I'm willing not to assert my rights, but rather I'm willing to let you influence me. Great thing in leadership, I learned years ago watching Dad and watching the saints at Shorewood growing up, mature saints. Dad would always say, I won't plumb, plumber, if you won't preach. In other words, Dad was a lousy plumber. Guess what? I'm a lousy plumber too. Just ask Keith. (laughs) But you know what? You know what you learn in leadership? I let you lead in the area you're good in, and you will be my leader in that area. Keith comes over to the house. I usually stand there and say, what do you need? Let me help you. I can't do what he's going to do. If I could, I would have done it already. See, I I cut eight times and measure once. See, because I can't read the tape measure straight. So he can. He comes over. I let him leave. Letting other people influence you. Look down at verse 24, 524. Therefore, as the church is... Subject unto Christ. So let the wives be their own husbands and everything. You see that issue of being subject to Christ? We are submissive. We are subject. We're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, he says, Let every soul be subject unto Titus, subject unto the magistrates and the government. You understand what that is? They begin to have influence on you. And again, when when you want to see or when you want to look at submission and everything, look at that, subject unto who? Christ. When you come in here in this ministry, you know what you're doing? You are submitting to my authority. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 is so. uh, Know those who labor over you in the ministry, okay? Now, what's different between me and you in Christ? Nothing. Right? With me? What have I chosen to do? Take on a role of leadership. Can you do that? Sure. 
do you want to do that? That's why that verse in Timothy is so important, if a man desire. There's got those check marks. You see, when you're dealing with submission, folks, you have to get over the thinking that submission is taking away personal value and significance as an individual. Rather, it has to do with the role that we are going to play now. Look at, you guys okay? Sleepy? Okay, Galatians. Let's move the pages then. Look at Galatians 3. Look at this. You see, there's a great misnomer out there that when I become a wife or I become a husband or when as a child and as a dad and as a work, that I lose who I am. Not at all. You've just chosen, you made a choice of your volition to get married. You made the choice to get married to that jerk or jerk, guess. What is a jerk? Yeah, I don't know. The lady jerk, okay? Because ladies, you can be jerks. I'm just telling you. I'm using a nice word. You know that. But see, the thing is, is, wait a second. Then when you guys got together, you chose to have children. That's a choice. It's a choice back there. <laughs> okay? You see, there's, there's a conversation in this. Look at Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all what? One. Come over to Colossians 3. Because in case somebody wants to throw the book of Galatians out. They want to do that here lately. It's interesting. Galatians 3. Look at verse 11. I'm sorry, Colossians 3. Verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Today, total equality. See that? But when you choose to move into a role, you don't lose personal value. But rather, you choose to play a role. You choose to put yourself under someone else's authority and influences in those roles. Because guess what we're going to start talking about next week? The roles that we play. The prescribed order of life and society for the believer. Here's what it's designed to look like. People run to 1 Corinthians 7 and we talk about marriage and, oh, well, what about all this? Do you know that 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about the perfect scenario with no problems in life? When does that ever happen? It doesn't. If it was a perfect situation, here's what it's to look like. But it's never perfect, is it? Things come up and happen. You see, folks, you play, you've placed yourself under someone else's authority. When we have decided to be in certain roles, you, you look here, look at Philippians 1. and verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. You see, there's roles here, because in Ephesians 5, we're in the local assembly. That's what we're talking about. And there's roles, and what you've decided is to put yourself under someone else's authority and influence in these roles. So it has really nothing to do with us losing value, but rather the positions that we're now in. 
And you know what? You're complete in Christ. And you're blessed with all spiritual blessings. So guess what? You've decided to take all of that you have in Christ and put it into a different role. That's what you've done. By the way, the lost. Think about the lost. They're all equally what? Lost. There's no matter who they are. They could be the president of the biggest corporation in America, actually in the world, called the United States government. Or they could be the lowliest janitor down picking garbage out up off the Washington Mall. What are they? Lost. Equally. They're lost. Come over to Philippians chapter 2. When you begin to think about submission and the issue of submission, the greatest illustration, again, is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to work backwards here, okay? So just hang tight, because I'm going to give you a definition of submission right out of these verses here for you. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Was he equal with God? Yes. Was he God? Yes. There was not a thought about an argument about him being who? Okay? He's right there. All's good, right? But made himself of no reputation. Who did what's following to the Lord Jesus Christ? Who did this to him? He did it to himself. See, the, the preachers call the, call the cross the days of his humiliation. Do you know that Christ was never humiliated? And they use this passage because of the humbling th phrases. But he was never humiliated. He's the one that turned himself over to Judas and the crowd. He's the one that said, hey, they're going to come and I'm going to go. When he's sitting there with Peter in, there in the garden and he says, don't you think I could call, 12, call to my father and 12 legions come and free me? This is not about me being free. It's about me coming over here, the next verse, 54, fulfilling the scriptures. He did what? He humbled himself. That's hard, you know. We don't think about that. He made himself of no reputation. Verse 7. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found and fashioned as a man, he what? Humbled himself. My point is, is this is an act of his will. No one made the Lord do this. No one made the Lord come in and say, you know what, I think I'm going to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. No one ever said, hey, you've got to go do this. You know what did, though? The Father says, i got a plan. Here's the, issue. Here's the plan. Here's your role if you'll accept it. And you know what the Lord did? He became what? Obedient. The obedience of faith to the word of the Father and to the will of the Father. And he says, hey, no problem. I'll come down. I'll be made in the likeness of men. When he's made in the likeness of man, and he's made in the, the form of a servant, is he? did he lose him being God? No. But what did he do? He took on a role, did he not? He took on the role of the kinsman redeemer. 
See what he did there? He didn't say, well, I'm God. Hear, you know, hear me roar, roar. He says, here's what the word of God says. That's what's gripping me, and I need to play this role. And when I play this role, I will be submissive to the word of the Father. And I'll allow him to direct and dictate what is to happen. You catch that? By the way, all of it's a choice of faith in the word of God. Now, you see verse 5? But this mind which is in you, uh, this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into say, well, bounce back up to verse 3. Because 2-3 is a very wonderful verse. How in the world did verse, verse 6, 7, and 8 ever occur in the Lord's mind? Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Uh-oh. Folks, this verse can change the way you live your life. You know that? Strife and vainglory. I got to have it my way. How dare you tromp all over my rights? Strife, vainglory. Now watch 2-3-B, the second part of that verse. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That is the best definition of submission there is. That beats the dictionary. Is right there in 2-3-B. Let others... But in lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, what have you done? You've humbled yourself, haven't you? You've went over and said, I'm not going to demand my rights. I'm going to allow him to lead or them to lead, and I'm going to allow them to influence me, and I'm going to allow them to be in charge. And I'm going to esteem them better than myself. He's, he's talking, verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's talking about laying aside your rights to the whole deal and turn and go serve other people, others. That's why he'll then say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. What did, what did he do? What did Christ do? What was his thinking? I got to go down there and die for a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. Is that what he said? No. He said, oh, for the joy that was set before me. My father's got a plan bigger. That's just a little thing I got to take care of so we can get over here to the big thing. You see, folks, how do you, by the way, how do you get to this esteeming others better than yourself? How do you get to this thing about, you know what, when I look at you, when I get a phone call from any of you, I don't cringe. I go, wow, look at that. They called. Woohoo, they need me. Hey, how you doing? Well, I got this problem. And I go, okay, yeah, great. Yeah. I don't do that. I'm just kidding. No, what do you, how do you get to that point where you say, hey, wow, I'm glad you called. Glad you emailed. Glad you reached out. Let me help you where I can. Well, it comes from having your thinking controlled by God's word. 
It comes, come back to Ephesians 5, it comes from esteeming others better than yourself. It comes from having your thinking, a lowliness of mind thinking, controlled by God's word, producing the heart of gratitude, producing the inner harmony, producing the servant's heart. How can I serve you? You know, Paul over there, that great definition of love that I would be spent, spend me. Spend me till I'm broken, then spend me some more. Man, he's, you know, and then I know in 2 Corinthians 11, he, he kind of moans about the care of the churches daily. But it isn't a moan of regret. It's a moan of, look, at, this is what we're doing. In verse 21, submitting, it has, how do we get here? It has to do with you allowing God's word to influence you and then allowing others to come up and to influence you. And you using your rights and your liberties to allow that to happen. To esteem other better than yourself. To look over. You know, that's why Paul would say, speak evil of no man. How are you, how you doing with that? Right now it's pretty brutal out there. And I don't care what group you listen to or look at. They're all speaking evil of everybody. Paul says, don't do that. How you do with that? How do you not speak evil? You have your mind controlled by somebody far superior than what the mess is you're in. And you allow that to influence you. Then the verse says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And this is the uh-oh. Because in grace, in the dispensation of grace, we're told what? You don't need to be scared of God. We have peace with God, right? But wait a minute. Paul just said in the fear of God. By the way, this doesn't mean a deep reverence. A reverential treatment. Come over to Hebrews 12. You know what it means? Fear of God. That's what it means. It means just what you think it means. Hebrews 12. Here, look at verse 28. Hebrews 12, 28. That, that deep reverence or reverential trust or all that stuff, Hebrews 12, 28 kicks it right in the teeth. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom have, which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and, what? Godly fear. Those are two different things. So reverential trust and all that isn't fear. 2 Timothy 1 over there, he says we're not to have a spirit of what? Fear. That's a bad fear, by the way. Colossians 2, verse number 18, I think it is. I'm going to look real quick. That's not it. Oh, yeah, it is. There it is. 2.18, let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility. That's a bad humility. You See, folks, you can have, come over to 2 Corinthians 7. You can have bad fear. 2 Corinthians 7. You can have good fear. You can have godly fear. Man, I, let's have godly fear. So then what's Paul talking about here? Let, let's look into this, Okay. 2 Corinthians 7, we'll jump in here, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 7, 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, which I did, uh, uh, though I did repent. For I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. That is a tremendous verse that says that God's, the epistles of Paul that you have in your scripture are designed to work in you. Even though he is not presently here, what do we read? We read his epistles, the sound doctrine, the ones that are scripture. 
And you know what they're designed to do? They're designed to work in you. Now watch them work. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damnation by us in nothing. Notice, godly fear has a source. Now watch that verse carefully. Sorrow to what? Repentance. Sorrow and repentance are not the same thing. Sorry. Sorrow works to produce repentance. By the way, what is repentance? Remind you real quick. A change of mind. Change of thinking. The Corinthians were misbehaving in their behavior. Paul writes them a letter, scathing letter to them. Tells them how to deal with that guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. They were to kick him out. They wouldn't do it. We're more holy than that. We're going to accept the brother under grace. Paul said, no, I told you to kick him out. Get rid of him. Little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You got to cut that cancer out. Well, we're going to. Well, finally they did. They wouldn't let him back in. And Paul's like, he's done. He's done what's needed. He's re repented, changed his mind, got the sound doctrine in him. He's grown up. And you need to forgive. Look, look over there. You're looking at me like I'm nutter in a nutball. Look at chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 2. I, folks, you think this stuff is just kind of filling up the pages. God doesn't fill up pages. If he wants to, John, uh, the end of John said he could have filled the whole world up with a book about things. He didn't do that. He's here to teach you something. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 2. Look at verse 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness, but I made you sorrow. For who is, uh, sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which made me made sorrow by me and I wrote this same unto you lest when I come I should have sorrow see that issue about sorrow he doesn't want to come down there with a heaviness where he's got to bend him over his knee like a dad with the child disobedient child verse 6 sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted on many notice the past tense that's 1 Corinthians 5 so that contrary wise you ought rather to what Forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For I forgive anything to whom I forgive it. For your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. How in the world does Satan get an advantage, go back to chapter 7, of that church there at Corinth? They don't forgive the guy. Because what happens when you don't practice forgiveness? It festers, doesn't it? It makes you angry, makes you want to speak evil things and have malice and heartache. And Paul says, look, guys, he's done what's needed to do. You need to bring him back in. Now, back in chapter 7 here, get off the rabbit trail. Verse 9 here, sorrow. Whoops. For ye were made sorry after a godly man that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Verse 10. 
For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You see, God's sorrow, godly sorrow is working a change of your mind about what's going on. The salvation here isn't your justification. It's the issues of your walk. Paul over there to the Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Woo! Oh, that's okay, Rick. We don't fear God. You ought to. You ought to pay attention. We'll get here in just a minute. I'll tell you why. But notice, what does worldly sorrow get you, by the way? Verse 10, but the sorrow of the world worketh what? Death. Godly sorrow works some, some repentance. Do you know what worldly sorrow says? I'm sorry I got caught. That's what the world says. Oh, I got caught. That's why every prisoner I ever talked to, they're, they're what? Innocent. Right? Why? Because what does the world say? Man, I wish I hadn't gotten caught. By the way, you know what a believer says? I got caught. I did it. Guilty. Let's work it out. Let me, let me have my sentence. What does godly sorrow say? Not I'm sorry I got caught, but rather I'm sorry I did the wrong. Verse 11, for behold, this, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort with carefulness, it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourself, yea, what indignation, yea, what, isn't that interesting, fear. What is a godly sorrow? Fear, the fear of God has a source. Godly fear has a source. It comes from sorrow that's work, godly sorrow. That's work in repentance. You've been there when you've messed up. Come back to Isaiah 66. You've been messed up going, man, you know what? That, every time you sin, if you just think that sin's what hung Christ on Calvary, what's going to happen to you? You're not going to say, oh, I wish I hadn't got caught. You're going to say, man, I wish I had not done the wrong. And that's going to produce a fear in you, a godly fear. Now watch Isaiah 66 in verse 2. Because here's what it's all about. Isaiah 66, verse 2. For all those things hath mine a handmaid. Now, by the way, we're in the kingdom. So this is Jehovah, king, sitting here speaking to the, the, the nation of Israel, i.e. the little flock as they're in their positions, as they're going out doing Matthew 28. All that's done. We're in the new heaven, the new earth. They're coming and so forth. And he's speaking in the kingdom. And he says, for all those things have my hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. There's submitting yourselves one to another. Of what kind of spirit? Contrite. And trembleth at my word. And there's the fear of God. There's a description of Ephesians 5, verse 21 to a T. Have a contrite spirit and what? Tremble at my word. Come over with me to Proverbs 13. You see, when he says here, submitting yourselves 
one to another in the fear of God. He's not talking about going over there and having a spirit of fear. And, oh my goodness, God's going to get me. No, he's talking about, hey, I'm going to go and serve. I'm going to go and have others influence me. And I'm going to go and esteem others better than themselves because the word of God says that's what I'm to do. And I'm going to do that. Proverbs 13, verse 13. By the way, that's an interesting 13. 13s are never good verses because of the number 13 act of rebellion. Whosoever despiseth the word shall be destroyed. But he that feareth the commandment shall be what? If you fear God's word, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be rewarded. Come over to Proverbs 1. In Proverbs, there are three of these issues here about fearing the Lord and fear of the Lord and fearing God. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning. It is not the end. It's where it all starts. Folks, you and I, we're on a, we're, we are on a journey of three things. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Gold, silver, precious stones. There they are. We're on that journey. And on the journey of knowledge, it begins with a respect for a for a tremble of God's word. The creator has spoken, and there it is. Chapter 8. I tell you, when you, I said this Wednesday night, when you touch the Bible, when you touch the word of God, you are touching Jesus Christ. Because he's it. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord is to have a divine viewpoint in your understanding. The fear of the Lord is to look at life the way God would look at it. And you know what God says? I hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance and the forward mouth. How are you doing with that in your life? You look at yourself. You're submitting yourselves. You're examining yourselves. And you say, you know what? Man, God's word says I ought not be this way. <laughs> Chapter 9 and verse 10. 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is what? Understanding. On this journey of wisdom... We're developing a divine viewpoint. We're looking at life the way God does. And you know what you get? You get understanding. You get wisdom. Understanding, that's bigger than knowing something. It's rather taking that knowledge and beginning to apply it to the details of life. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity does what? Edifies. Boy, that's the case. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not being able to quote the right verses. It's not being able to come along and saying, you know what, I know this better than you know it, and you don't listen to me, so you, know, you can hit the road. Look over with me at that passage. I've got to find it. 1 Corinthians 8. 
Oh, you know what? Don't do that. Go back to Ephesians 5, just for time. You see, folks, 521, he's talking about taking the Word of God and applying it to your life appropriately. 521, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He's talking about, we need to be careful. I'm talking about the fear of God. We need to be careful to do what's right and to stand in God's word and let God's word be what controls our life. And when we do that, guess what we're going to have? We're going to have this thing about submission that isn't, oh my goodness, he's just going to tell me what to do again. Would he just be quiet? Leave me alone. That, but that isn't submission. Rather, it's coming along and saying, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out in my life. I'm going to work in my scenario, my situation. And I'm going to just do what his word says to do. And, and I want to be careful not to misapply his word to the details of my life. I want to take it and come over here and let's just do what he said for us to do. So he says, wives, submit yourselves. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey. Fathers, beat and, and discipline. No, I'm just not beat. <laughs> Fathers, parents, servants. Man, he's, in those roles, what can I do? I can come, I can take the word of God, and I can apply it in the, that area that I'm in. I know he doesn't list grandparents, but grandparents are in there. Because that's a relationship we have. So you take and you apply. I know he doesn't say single people, but he's already told you that he, as far as marriage, to be as he was, which was single. Don't get married, because when that happens, things happen. Okay? Little dudes happen. Trouble happens. iPhones happen. <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> That's what Linda gets me. We're watching TV, and I'm like, would you get off that phone? Right? Okay? See, folks, a spirit-filled life, you know what a spirit-filled life's going to say? My heart's goal, my focus of my life is to obey him and his word. I'll put my life under the control of God's word, rightly divided, because that's where the spirit grips my life. And that'll cause me to say that I'm going to walk in obedience of faith to what God's word says in the details of life. I'm going to have that inner peace and that harmony from knowing that I'm right where God put me. That I'm doing exactly what He causes me to do. I am who I am in Christ, in the circumstances, in all things, for all things. And that in those circumstances I can display His life. Could you imagine that? You're in a dead doggone argument, and it dawns on you, you know what? Christ wouldn't argue. He would do this. And right in that moment, the light and the life of Christ shines in that argument from you. Because you've decided to speak evil of no man. You've decided that, you know what? You, I don't have to be right here. You've also, by the way, decided you don't have to go to every fight. That's a, been a great liberator for me, is not to have to fight everything that comes down the pike. 
you can, a spirit-filled life would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and serve others, esteem others better than myself. I'm going to do all of this in the fear of God. That attitude that God's word means what it says, and I'm going to go do that. Folks, that's a spirit-filled life. So when we come to the rest of this passage, if you come to it with that attitude of the spirit-filled life, you know what happens? Being a wife is the most wonderful thing you can be. Being a husband is the most wonderful thing you could ever think of. It's the happiest halls of human happiness, marriage is. As children, you can live and grow, and you can say, you know what, man, I, will, I, I, I can do this. But I tell you what, though, if you don't come to it with a spirit-filled attitude, a spirit-filled life, spirit-filled thinking, those roles are going to stink, and they're going to be trouble, and there's going to be a constant struggle because the prescribed order in the believer's life. By the way, you notice we didn't talk about headship. We'll get there. We didn't talk about all those boogaboo words out there that float around. See, the prescribed order for the believer's life only happens when the spirit is in control. And the word of God is in control. So next week we'll talk about the, la- the wives, the ladies, the wives. Because that's the first order. There's a reason, by the way, they're listed first. They're the called the, Peter calls the wife the weaker vessel. Not weak in physical ability. Because I know there's some ladies that are strong, much stronger than me. Where did, who did Satan attack first? He went to Eve. And there's a reason why. Spiritually, there's a reason why. There's a reason why he'll tell Timothy, Eve was deceived, but you're still in the transgression, dude, because you didn't do your role as husband. See, We'll get into all of that. But it all happens because of a spirit-filled life. And you know what happens? Yeah, you're going to have fights. You know why? Because we're people. We're human. The flesh, exactly. But man, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm in the middle of a knockdown dragon. I said something this morning to Linda I should not have said. And I came over here, and I'm like, man, I should not have said that. I should have said what I said, but just not in that manner, okay? It wasn't what I said, but it was how I said it. I finished doing what I did. I just went over, and I grabbed her, and I said, I'm sorry. I should never have said that to you. Like that. But don't ever do it again. No. No. (laughs) No. I didn't do that, or I would be limping, okay? (laughs) But no, you, you, you sit there, and you go, hang on. Wait a minute. In marriage counseling, I like to use a, we have a timeout table, a place. Neutral ground, Switzerland, where you can then go in and work out the deal and think. And then when we leave, we're done, never to be brought up again. It's over. But only that comes from having the spirit-controlled life. Having the word of God be what is the issue. Okay? All right, let's play. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son. And we thank you for everything that you've given to us in him. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand and be dismissed.